Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewitt. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. All right. Hi, everyone. Hello. So we're... Hi, Sandy. Um, <laughs> we're back with another episode. The first episode we did with Jeevana Hyman was a really quick, short, rapid-fire set of questions um, that hopefully kind of teased you a little bit to ask yourself, who is this person? And they sound very interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he does to us anyways. So... We're really excited to have Jeevana on here. He's written a book called Accessible Yoga, and um, he was so nice to send a copy to each to Sandy and I, and I've been looking through this book, and it really is such a wonderful piece of reference material for any yoga teacher who's, I mean, I should just say any yoga teacher, period. Like if you're teaching bodies that have restrictions in making any shape, any pose. I would say you could say older bodies, but I don't think so whatsoever because there's so many abilities that this this book um, like covers the range of mobility for. So I like literally use some of the, have used some of these already in my own mm. body and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so without further ado, Jeevana Hyman, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Mm-hmm. Um Sandy, I don't know how how do we want to go about this? I haven't really discussed oh, it. Oh, like- I just I just want to say that I so I really thoroughly read the um the is it intro is that what it's called for uh, the forward and the yeah mm-hmm. the introduction his so story the introduction, yeah and then before it gets into like more of the um I guess it's more like a textbook once you get deeper into it it, it like goes through standing postures I think is that right. Like arm mm-hmm. raises, yeah, it goes through more of like the physical stuff. But before it gets to that, there's this really, really wonderful intro, and I just wish the whole book was that intro. <laughs> like, keep going, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I've even like bookmarked a few things I wanted to pull out later um, as we chat. But some of like the things that you bring up, you just put it so well. You know, like when people say words and they say it so much better than you say words. Like that's <laughs> what you have done. Um, and yeah. thank you so much for making words work together so well because sometimes it doesn't it doesn't do that very often for wow. me <laughs> well thank you that's very kind i um yeah i really like writing the intro and the kind of yoga philosophy section in fact I, i'm just starting my second book and it'll be more of that stuff so oh okay. exciting yeah no i was i was very very um like it, it just pulled me right in you know it wasn't like normal textbook introductions um Sandy, can you give us an so. example or not to put you on the spot, but do you have like, yeah, yeah, I just a, want to a one? grab it. Well, it's just one of the things is that it, it is full of um, uh, story, which, you know, it keeps everyone's attention. Right. And I think you did that. Did you do that on purpose? Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like stories keeps people attention and it, and it shows the lesson in a different way. Right. Like stories are great yeah. for that. Um, I have a, I have a major in English, so I'm, I'm full oh, of ones. Yeah. <laughs> I love stories. Um, but yeah, he even like, okay. So one of the things that I love that you've done is that you've, um, you've sort of, uh, condensed the first chapter of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, um, mm. into like a really short, concise, like funny way of putting things. Um, because when you actually read like the translations, which I, I have a, a number of times, um, there's so many explanations, you know, people can go on and on and on about like even the first mm. line, like we are now doing yoga. What does mm. the now mean? What do you think now means? What uh-huh. is now? What is, you know, what is yoga? Like all these things. Yeah. Um, so I'll just quote it. It's on page eight if anyone has the book and they're following along. So he he summarizes the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the first sutra he'll go, he says, it, his translation, your interpretation of it is, we are doing no- yoga now, brackets, stop texting. 
<laughs> number、yeah. two, calm the mind, free the heart. Number three, then you know you're home. And it just keeps going like that in this really like so accessible way of like understanding it and just easy to read, easy to absorb kind of thing, which I love.、Um, yeah, and there's a number of other things that I can, I, I don't know, I just thought it was fantastic. Just fantastic the way you put it out there. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate so, that. It's like it's accessible because of the. F- The physicality part of it, like in the all these photos of asana, you're giving so many ways to do them in different ways. It, you you can't not find a way to get some benefits of、um, a pose and a modified version. But then the book itself is accessible in the information, the like Sandy said, the background information about what yoga is, because that can be really heady and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not math or Well, it is science, but it's not math. <laughs> Trigonometry, <laughs> calculus. Yeah, it's not like that. But people、yeah. can get really overwhelmed about what is right and what is wrong in yoga, and then that takes the all of the、mm-hmm. yoga out of it. I feel right. Yeah, actually, I, I like. I mean, I I think it's a good question: is is yoga science? Because I I actually think it's part science, but part art. Oh, know, absolutely! So I, yeah, I'm really yeah. interested in that part and like the creative side, and、um, that—that's what I. Well, one of the questions you asked me when we did the other short interview was about like、um, tradition. How did you say it? Something about tradition versus adapting or something. Um, was it? Do you tend to stick with tradition or try something new? Yeah, and I just I feel like. That create the creativity that I find in yoga is is essential, and I think has been has been lost. You know, there's、mm. um, cr- being creative in a in a respectful way,、um, and I have my background is in actually in art, and so that's why I I think of it, I think of yoga in more of a as a creative endeavor, and I think of、um, you know create to me creativity is spirituality. That's the same thing, and I. I mean, I'm interested in、um, all kinds of human expression, and I, I feel like yoga is、um, a beautiful one, you know. And and yet, I think it's often not portrayed that way. It more, I don't know. When we say science, I think it can be off-putting and feel so formal. When I think, and I and I think there is that part of it, but I also think there's this other side that's just like much freer.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I would、yeah. say the science is there. It's like the underlying what's happening within your nervous system,、mm-hmm. but it's not.、Um, it's not. It's definitely not in the forefront. It's very much in the background. Of it, kind of backs the art of the practice, if that were to make sense. Yeah. Well, that's one. Of, I think I. I can't remember if I say this in the book, but I talk about how how yoga is like art, in that、um, you know, there's like. Amazing artists who become masterful, you know, maybe like famous painters,、um, and those are like the to me those are like the great teachers of yoga, like the gurus that we've been all learning from, and I think we can learn from them, but we don't have to do exactly what they do. You know, we can just be inspired by them and then learn how to, you know really learn the basics and do it ourselves. Oh, one other thing about that is I I think the thing that people don't realize about creativity. Is that it? Really takes a lot of discipline and structure. Ooh. And I think that's where the yoga comes into me. It's like yoga is a discipline and a structure for this self exploration. Just like with painting, like I think you know, when you're painting, most people paint on a flat rectangular surface. You know, it's like you could paint all over the room, but painting on that one, you know, rectangle、um, is kind of like a discipline that allows you to be creative. So it's like creativity needs that structure, and I think that's what the tradition of yoga offers—kind、um, of a structure for us to work within, you know, to to explore ourselves. Yeah, no, I, I really, really、um, vibe with that. That's one of the the reasons I wanted to ask you about tradition versus novelty. I think you did bring something up、um, in the book about that, and and maybe that's、mm-hmm. why it was like seated in my mind.、Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love that idea that like. This yeah, we want to pay homage to where this tradition comes from and all the the background、um, stuff comes from. But also, we are living in like a modern world now,、um, and so why deny the tools of our modern world if it can push our cause farther?、Um, 
than we would have, you know, with just using the tools of our, our heritage or the, the tradition. Um, and I think a, a lot of people hold, at least in, in my circles, they hold tradition as though that's like the only way to do things. I don't know if you mm. see that in, in your circles. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but that's something I'm, I'm like, you know, like I, I sort of struggle against that a lot because because there's the good and the bad. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's it's complicated because I, th I think what we're trying to avoid is cultural appropriation. That, yes. That's the like downside. So, I mean, I think we have to maybe define what that is. You know, what we're tr what we're trying to not do is to use an ancient indigenous practice for our own benefit um, in kind of a capitalistic or egotistical way, you know, and I, I think that's, that's what has happened to yoga. And so that's why there's a lot of, well, there seems to be more awareness these days, not a lot, but there's more awareness about this, uh, this idea of cultural appropriation. It's like where a colonizer comes in and like, you know, uses the practices that were indigenous and actually kind of steals them away from the, the indigenous people and then they actually are usually usually they're usually denied access to them themselves they'll even sometimes the colonizer will then sell back the practices you know mm -hmm. to the indigenous community and i think that's yeah. you've seen that in yoga mm -hmm. so yeah well, there's a lot of appropriation that's happened so i guess we just need to be careful when we when we're adapting the practice and changing it that we're not using it in a way that that's it's a little different to me what i'm talking about is um learning how to practice in a deeper way that's respectful to the yoga tradition. In fact, I think to me, accessible yoga is more about um, really figuring out what, what is the essence of yoga? How can we go back to something that's more authentic or traditional, um, which to me is the, the spiritual aspects of yoga, which are really what yoga is about, rather than focusing just on like the more physical advanced asana, the gymnastic Kind of the beautiful poses that we see that to me that's more appropriative where you just see like one piece of it rather than the entire the entirety of what yoga it can be and what it is um if that makes sense i don't know yeah sometimes i wish i mean it's a product of social media right you can't yeah. photograph the feeling that yoga gives you mm -hmm. like i have a very specific feeling inside of me when I'm doing my practice or the stillness in between the postures or when I get on my mat mm -hmm. and I close my eyes and you cannot take a photo of that. Yeah. So what do you take a photo of? You take a photo of something that has shape that people can see, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I do have photos on, on our social media of, I think we each have photos of us sitting there with our eyes closed, but uh -huh. you can't have every photo like that. No. <laughs> the most boring right. social media ever. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, we do what we can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, it's social media, but actually I, I think it's a little more, um, about going back to capitalism. Honestly, I think it's really about how yoga has been used to sell products and stuff like, clothing mm -hmm. companies that yeah. you know that, that are expert at marketing and, and they're using yoga when i mean there's nothing wrong with like athletic clothing that's great but it's like not really it's not really what yoga is i mean that's just clothing it's not you know what i mean like mm. that connection that you make between these clothing companies and yoga i think is the issue um and then they're using yoga to sell something that's to me that's appropriation Mm, um, yeah. but that impacts the way that we all perceive yoga in the west because marketing is so powerful and we've all been kind of trained um through marketing yeah i think so, you just brought yeah. up something really really interesting in in the way we get information in the modern age yeah. is marketing like yeah. and it didn't used to be like that right it used to be more books it used to mm. be school <laughs> remember school mm -hmm. um <laughs> and whereas now like the things that we learn and the associations we make come from tv shows they come from uh commercials they come from like the posters on the side of the wall so yeah, yeah. I, I totally feel that that is right and it's 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 it is it's like a social thing that you know i don't i don't know if if um I don't know. Capitalism is winning though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do we do? Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think it's, I think it's connected to what yoga is about as well, because 
you know, capitalism is more like, it's like an ego on a big scale, you know, it's something that we all have inside of us, like this desire to have more for ourselves to be creating. Yeah. So I think that's what yoga is like the antidote to capitalism that, I mean, that, but it's something that we all have to find, you know, ourselves. So to me, I think social media can be the, is a curse and a blessing because you can also, we, you know, we, we like accessible yoga. We do most of our work through social media, you know, trying to shift the, the way yoga is perceived and also to connect people who may not, you know, be connected to lift up people. You know, that's what yoga, hmm. I mean, social media can be done. It can be used for in yoga is to shift the dynamic, but it doesn't have, you know, if you look at some yoga celebrities, like they have millions of followers, you know, it's like, and I know incredible teachers who have so much experience within the accessible yoga world and they'll have like, you know, 10,000 followers. That's like really successful in this world. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm just thinking of that. Like I never have been a person who follows celebrities or yeah. even like on my going to Sandy and I've done a bunch of trainings together and meet up with our colleagues and they're, you know, everyone's on Instagram freaking all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And the like, oh, don't you follow so-and-so? Or I'm like, I don't know that person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like always, mm, yeah, I'm not going to follow them because they have a million followers. I literally, or I follow them and then I'm just like, I'm not connect. I don't feel connected. So yeah, it's just, well, you know, I think, I think it has, I think it's important point because I think we don't know where to go to find authentic teachings and I think we're we're all like look you know we want we kind of have a sense of what we want but we don't know for sure so we want to be like we want someone who's like respected or a celebrity to tell us oh yeah that's you know that's the truth um Mm -hmm. that's why I like to go back to the to the scriptures like I, I appreciated you reading that my take on the sutras I mean and it was kind of trying to be funny and light, but also mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to, I am trying to get people to look at those, look at those teachings, those writings directly themselves, because I think that's, and, and it's hard to get there directly because it's always a translation unless you speak, speak Sanskrit and read it. I mean, which I don't, I mean, I know some Sanskrit, but I can't read it, but I just, I, I think it's great to go and read like the Yoga Sutras and the Gita and, and, um, read different translations, you know, and try and figure it out. Like, it's not, it's not so, it's not so impossible. Like we don't have to listen to other people all the time. Um, we can try to figure some stuff out ourselves and then explore in our own practice. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that feel to us? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, yeah, I love, I love the philosophy. I'm big on all this. Philo- I know it doesn't, it might not seem like it, but I'm, I'm huge on all this philosophy stuff and I love it. And sometimes I feel like the, the scriptures and all the, the words they say, like, yes, you have to read them a lot of times to mm-hmm. sometimes get it. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to read it once. And then it's mm-hmm. almost, it's not even a realization. It's almost like a memory of something I already knew. Yeah. And, and then it's just like, oh, wow. And it, it comes again from this inner exploration and this self-study and just sitting your butt down and trying you know like so what if you fail what's the worst that can happen I didn't understand a, a sutra so what right um, yeah. but the attempt is there and, and it's valuable to to try um, and yeah I love that I love I wish there was more classes that did like a dharma talk in the, mm-hmm. in the start of class I love those things I'm a big sucker for them I know and um, like so I, I yeah. think so often those some of those translations are are not even meant to help us, but more to like impress us. So I think you have to. Really oh, really? For, yeah, you oh, got to look man. for the translations that really ring true to you and like that that are easily readable. You know what I mean? You got to find, but there are they're out there. There are like thousands and thousands of translations of these books and. Maybe I'll, I'll get you to like make us a little short list of your favorites yeah. because uh, I only have the one I had from, you know, years ago and I just, mm-hmm. I haven't like bothered to look at it. I just yeah. sit down with it and I, I puzzle it out or I just give up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be happy yeah. to. I, I think yeah, yeah. honestly, like I, I mean, this might sound kind of mean, but I mean, I do a little survey when I, I, I run yoga teacher trainings for accessible yoga all over the place. And I kind of survey teachers who I meet, like how many of you know, like Ashtanga Yoga and like the Eight Limbs of Yoga from the Yoga yeah. Sutras of Patanjali and can like tell me them in English or in Sanskrit. And 
I would say like in the US, it's like maybe 15% of yoga teachers can tell me the yoga, the eight limbs of yoga in Sanskrit. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's a problem to me because that's the source. Like, uh, now I realize there's some debate around that. They, some, there's some debate with academics about whether the sutras are really like the source of yoga that we've built them up to be, but whatever, it's still an ama- amazing source uh, of inspiration about what yoga is. Yeah, no, I was I I met some teachers that were trained in it's Power Yoga Canada is what we call it. Um, But none of them had any idea of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali or the Bhagavad Gita. None of them had to read them. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? Wait, wait, wait. Give me give me a second here. You're calling yourself trained in yoga when all you've done is study one limb of it, which is asana and maybe a bit of pranayama. And, and and yet we've given you this hat of like authority um, mm-hmm. and, and society is supposed to look at you as the authority. So if I asked you, what is yoga? You know, like you're all going to give me different answers. Right. Whereas yeah. like and, and that's fine. Um, an interpretation is fine. But it I mean, you have to know you have to know a little bit of where you come from. You have to know you know, your roots before you can start to go forward. That's how mm-hmm. I, I feel personally about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But but anyway. I also, I think it can feel, I don't know what the word is like. I, I don't want to criticize yoga teachers either because I, I think it's, they're, they're not to blame. Like they're not being no, trained. No. And I don't know what it is exactly. I think that yoga, that philosophy in general is something that we feel like, oh, that's just for academics. And so I think it's important to mm. make the philosophy accessible and to make to make the teachings accessible. Honestly, that's that's my passion. I mean, to make the essence of it available to people, not just asana. Although, you know, asana, the reason like my book has mostly asana is that that's what people are interested in. And that'll draw mm-hmm. them in. But it's, I a gate, think it's the, the gateway, yeah. It's a gateway. But the philosophy or the, the underlying teachings are what really keep me interested. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Not and I, in an I, intellectual way either, huh? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just saying like they, they, and they do thread together, right? Like there's a lot, there's, um, so much about the, is it psychosocial, physical, Mm. you know, like everything all together, Mm -hmm. like how your feet feel on the ground impact how Mm. you feel like inside and psychologically. So yeah, they are all, um, they're not totally as separate. I know we sometimes treat them as like two different things, but they're not always, not always. No, exactly. In fact, I think I think what you mean is that what you're saying is like understanding the philosophy actually explains what we experience in our practice. And I think it actually can it deepens our practice when we get, oh, when we understand, for example, like the fact that if you look at all the yoga teachings, it really comes down. I mean, if I'm going to summarize all of it, but to <laughs> me, it's some, it kind of comes down to, you know, actually, you asked me this earlier, um, Natalie was about you know, working with your own mind and learning to, um, in a way, control the ego and connect with the deeper spiritual essence within us or the mm-hmm. heart, whatever you want to call it. And I say, if you know that, if you know that yoga is really about working with the mind, then you start noticing in your, you notice that more and more as you're doing asana. It's like, okay, now I realize I'm, that's why I'm focused on my breath or why I'm focused on a drishti because I'm trying to focus my mind. That's actually the point here. Mm-hmm. You yes. know what I mean? So it can help you emphasize that that yes. part of your practice and goes much deeper than just kind of noticing it later. Cause I think if you just do asana, you will, you'll still get there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just maybe you can go faster if you kind of get the why. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm interested in is understanding why, why do we do these things? Mm-hmm. No, that's thank like, you so yeah. much for putting it so well. Again, this is another time when you say the words so much better than I say the words. That <laughs> 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 was great. Um, hey. Yeah, I just I just love that you said that, though, because understanding the why like that's that's why Sandy and I started talking about yoga, period. We (laughs) just (laughs) talked to each other on the phone. We used to some one of us would call the other and say, like, either something we saw physically in class going on in someone's body or something we didn't understand in the practice or something Mm -hmm. we were confused about. And then it was like, well, I've been taught this way. Why? 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 And we dig and we dig and we try and get to some understanding. So usually our explanation of everything is it depends. (laughs) (laughs) It depends. And actually often you'll, you'll see, you know, you'll find contradictory information as well, but. Oh yeah. 
yeah. but you know, that's okay. I think you can, if you get the general, the general idea of what we're doing, you know, from <laughs> those source texts, I think that really helps. That really helps the teachers and, and practitioners as well. I mean, I think yoga practitioners can also access these teachings directly. We don't have to go through a teacher. Um, you know, the teachers just are there to lift us up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The philosophy can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And I think that's why it's been faded, fading out. Yeah. There's not as much emphasis put on it. Um, if you see parts of philosophy or because I came from a background of like black and white, right and wrong. Mm. So starting yoga, you know, if I even in asana, I'm thinking way back, if I didn't hold one pose on one side for the same length as the other mm. side, I'd be like, oh, the magic isn't going to happen. Like oh. <laughs> I did it wrong, <laughs> you know, like before I did any training, like I'm thinking of right when I started. Um, so not understanding, I guess, like how it works. I'm thinking being in a physical pose is going to do something and have a spiritual effect on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm speaking completely honestly. Like I, I know that's I remember kind of thinking that sort of stuff. Um, and then having so much questions about the body because I had pain in my body. So teasing that out. Mm. And then once I learned about the body a little bit more and the science, which is where, where all the depend it depends stuff comes from because the way mm-hmm. how you do a pose depends on your entire humor, human experience, essentially. Then you mm. can kind of, or I can kind of in my head apply that to the philosophy where things – I mean, you have all of that work of the sutras and the Gita, but it's not as black and white as I made it in my in my head. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't a, um, existing in society and like according to these rules, then I was doing it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really a heavy thing to put on yourself. So if you kind of take it in a lighter way and you make it more accessible, then you can just kind of pull from these little pieces of philosophy that help you be like a better version of yourself. And it's just like this lighter, easier version of yourself to be with. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be so heavy. Like these are the rules. Yeah. Don't screw it up. <laughs> it can be super yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> But also I'm like really, I, I just like to give myself a break just because I get, I get stuck with feeling insecure and like an imposter, you know, all that stuff that everyone mm-hmm. else, you know, we all have that. And I, I mm-hmm. think it can be really hard as a teacher, especially to put yourself out there to feel like, well, I don't know enough. And it's like, well, what's enough, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's never like, it's never ending. Like, I, I don't know. There's so much I don't know. I mean, the more I learn, the less I know or something. Isn't that what they yeah. say? <laughs> Someone like said that. that, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's okay. I mean, I think we still have to move forward. You still can, you, it's okay. You can still teach and say, you know, I'm learning. I think that's the key to me is to be, to have humility and honesty about what you know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think yoga teachers, well, one thing, I mean, I'd say in, in general is that we don't have a scope of practice. And I think that's something that's hopefully coming. I know it's coming from Yoga Alliance soon. They're going to release a, um, a scope of practice, which I think whatever it is, I think it's just good that we'll have one because it basically would be just some guidelines about what yoga teachers can do and what they can't do. Because there is kind of this mystery around yoga, like we're, I don't know, like we're magical Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you summarize it so well in the book just with one sentence with regard to with regards to the physical and the f- spiritual and the philosophical is um s- i think you say start with where you are right now mm-hmm. which is just instead of making it this overwhelming thing yeah physically mm-hmm. mentally spiritually with with respect to all of the backgrounds of yoga, just start with where you are right now. And I tell myself, I do the same thing as you and and my students. I'm not teaching publicly right now, just privately, but it's just like, what's the easiest thing to create change? Like be a little bit less of a jerk to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) When someone's talking and you're, you're thinking, oh, this person is like out to lunch or something change it into something a more compassionate thought like start with where you are right now like what are the habits that you can 
notice and work with instead of going to like, I need to change everything mm-hmm. about me and having yeah. it be so overwhelming. It's well, just not there's, accessible. There's something, that, there's something that helped me a lot, which is I, I actually think another way to look at yoga is that it's about um, reducing suffering. Mm-hmm. And um, actually that's in the sutras. So in the second chapter, Patanjali explains that future suffering is avoidable. And then he tells you how to avoid suffering. And that's where he introduces the eight limbs of yoga, Ashtanga yoga, which is includes asana. That's where asana comes up, you know, as well as meditation, which is really more of the focus. But I would say that idea of reducing suffering is so important. And I think we sometimes suffer because of yoga. Yeah. Either we, mm, like absolutely. we were saying, because we think we're not good enough to do it. So then we don't practice or because we, you know, comp- competition comes in. I mean, the ego is tricky. So you know, it gets into yoga too, or like we hurt ourselves because we push too hard in a pose. I mean, yoga is about reducing suffering. So you have to, for me, I always have to ask myself, you know, is this practice actually reducing my suffering uh, right now? I mean, sometimes you have to suffer a little as a discipline, right? I get that. That's not what we're talking about, but like in general, um, and I think the suffering that we're, that Patanjali was referring to is really the the ego and the sense of the kind of um, shell that we live inside of this kind of false ego rather than like connecting with the more authentic self or whatever. I mean, you want, I don't, whatever word you want to call it with your heart, mm-hmm. meaning that, I don't know, we're getting into it now, but basically like <laughs> yoga says it. that we're fine. Like our nature is perfect as it is, right? Like our spirit is fine and that everyone's spirit is the same. So we're all equal in that way. Um, but it's just that the ego mind um, thinks we're separate and that we need to be better or that usually either we're worse or better than other people mm-hmm. that we need, you know, we need more or something. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with in yoga, really. Um, I just wanted to bring up, so I'm going to quote you back to yourself. From okay. Your book is so good. Um, but about the whole suffering and um, for me, I think it's linked a lot to attachment and attaching to, um, yeah. yeah, just like what I think I should be doing and, um, or things, you know, attaching to something and everything is, is temporary, right? So you'll lose the thing that you've attached to and then there's sadness attached to that um, <clears throat> or suffering attached to that. So mm-hmm. in your book, you say that um, basically an attachment is something outside yourself that you think you need in order to be happy. Thoughts mm-hmm. like, if this relationship were better, then I'd be happy. Or if I made more money, then I'd be happy. Or when I'm healthy, then I'll be happy. But living between the if and then is claustrophobic. There's no room in that space to honestly explore who you are. Even worse, it represents a misunderstanding about how to be happy. And I just love that passage. It's just like, mm. yes, that speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, ex- that explains what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, that a lot of the... In the sutra, the yoga sutras, he's describing that, that the suffering is based on our attachments, which are these things out yeah, the things outside of us. Yeah. So the, the challenge really of, or I mean, not a challenge, let's say it the other way. The benefit of yoga is actually that it immediately brings us back to the, to ourself. Like that's what yoga is for. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so incredible. Like, I feel like to me, everyone needs it, you know, like, I don't want to make people do yoga if they don't want to, but (laughs) (laughs) you're all forced to now. (laughs) Yoga pusher. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you call it an addiction actually, don't you? Yeah, um, we do. (laughs) I I think it's true, but I also think it's something that um, could, can benefit anyone because we all, we all need to get back to that truth, you know, like we're all kind of lost and, well, I mean, we all eventually will find our way back one way or the other, but um, it just offers such direct t- practical tools, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. And like sometimes I go through like certain thought um experiments with myself just about Mm. you know like we live in such a privileged world like there's never a time in history when there's been so many humans that have you know not been starving at war with one another um you know in in relative prosperity with a roof over our heads and food in our bellies um and yet you know we're still at this layer of suffering um I know like hashtag first world 
problems and all that. So sometimes I'll, I'll think to myself, like these attachments that we have to all these things, like what if I were to actually like lose a limb, like that loss and that suffering that would happen from there, like where where is that coming from? And, and how do I compare that to, you know, a loss of, let's say, you know, my TV or whatever, these other things that I, I possess and own. Um, and yeah, like the, the yogic thought is that no, none of these things are me. None of these things define me. Um, and that below all of that, there's like the soul, the spirit, um, the source, cosmic energy, whatever you want to call it. Um, but coming back to that is going to be your source of you know, truth and happiness and unity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, yeah, anyway, I just run through, those are just my thoughts. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of, part of what's, I think what's important, part of what you said that's important to me is that we often judge other people in based on that same thinking that, um, you know, we, especially people with disabilities, which is an area that I'm particularly interested in, which is that we look at someone maybe who like is an amputee and we think, oh, they must be unhappy because yeah. we have this attachment to having exactly. all of our limbs. And that's mm-hmm. just incorrect. Like we just can't make assumptions about other people um, and their state of happiness or unhappiness. There's like I say in the book, there's no relationship actually between uh, what do I say? Physical ability and peace of mind you know, mm-hmm. or having limbs and being happy. Like there's no relation. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. you can be an amputee and be happy. You can have all your limbs and be unhappy. Like there's just no relationship there. Yeah. Just like there's no relationship to having more money and being happy or having, right. you know, the biggest TV and um, being happy. So yeah, I, I, I think that's like a really, it's a really important lesson for nowadays because like you said, like we live in a world where, our measurements of success are so visible, unfortunately, you know, um, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's just the but. Yeah. But I also, but it's a paradox because at the same time, I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that many people don't have privilege, and I think it can. It's quite privileged to just focus on that thought. Yes, yes, you know? and I yes. think that's what you were saying. Yes. So I think the first step, it, it, it's like to really assess your privilege Mm -hmm. and look at um to appreciate your privilege and be honest with yourself about it um and then work on sharing that privilege with others who don't have it but not out of a sense of um they need me you know like save like being a white savior or Mm. um like it's really or like it's ableist to to assume like that people with disabilities need help or that you know i need to help someone so it's not Mm -hmm. that it's out of to me, it comes to a question of service, which is yoga practice. And that's to look at where, where do I have privilege? Where do I have um, talents and energy, um, skills or money or whatever? And how can I use that to serve everyone, you know, to make life better in general mm-hmm. for the world? Because that'll actually help me in the end as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not that I'm better than anyone. Um yeah, it's yeah. like wh- where can you give value instead of receive value, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the ego always wants more for ourselves. And sometimes helping others is just another way of being egotistical. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that happens for teachers a lot, that we become very attached to our role as like the teacher and the yeah or healer. Like, I think that's the danger in yoga therapy, which I mean, I'm a yoga therapist and it's it's a fine line you have to work on where you're not going into that relationship with a client to fix them or heal them. You know, you really are there just um, as a facilitators for their own self-healing just as a yoga teacher. Cause I, I mean, I think you probably had that experience as a teacher where the students say, Oh my God, you know, you helped me or you saved me or something. And it's just, that's a very dangerous situation and it's a trap mm-hmm. for both people Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely have struggled with that in my teaching career like feeling feeling having received that that kind of not praise but people expressing that I have changed Mm -hmm. their lives or I mean that's what they say um and then feeling like I need to continue doing that like I I, mm-hmm. I owe it to them in advance mm-hmm. um it takes a lot of me mm-hmm. going back to my practice to to understand fully and kind of 
move from a place of it feels selfish, but like I really need to, I need to do me first. I need to do what I need for myself or else I would just be teaching. I wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing. I would just be teaching yeah. yoga 24 hours a day yeah. if I didn't <laughs> really listen. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I think, it's, um, it's uh, a I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think, remember. Sorry, go on. Oh. That's part of why when I, when I train, I mean, a lot of what I talk about when I train teachers is to, to reevaluate the teacher student relationship, because I think, it really needs to be an equitable relationship. That's a more of a collaboration. That's it's not really the way yoga is being taught right now, which is not that way right now. It's taught where like this teacher knows everything and the student knows nothing. And the student is passive receiving information. And I just, I think that's, I, I think it's incorrect and, and dangerous. I, I think it's led to a lot of abuse, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. in yoga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I think the abuse starts with that kind of disempowerment of the student. And I think that's not in line with the teachings, which is that everyone has what they need inside. Not everything you need. You need food and water and all that. But I mean, the peace that we're looking for is inside, <laughs> yes. yeah. right? Our peace that we're seeking is inside. And, um, and so if you go to a teacher, that person should just help you find that. It's not about them. They're not doing it. You know, mm-hmm. but we can't help but feel like they are. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Then, yeah. Um, I think Nat and I have talked about this before where we were even discussing the, the word teacher mm. because, yeah, like that's it's it's a little bit not what at least I, I don't always feel like I'm teaching. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm, I'm holding the space quiet mm-hmm. so that, you know, there's there's an experience or there's a, a guidance there. And then mm-hmm. they're doing all the work, like yeah. whether it's breathing, you know, and I'm just I'm just holding everyone shut up, let everyone else work. You know, like it's mm-hmm. all I'm doing and, yeah. and opening up the room for that. Um, so we, we were playing with things like yoga facilitator, yeah. yoga guide. <laughs> this yeah. all sounds kind of weird, but uh, and not exactly what we're trying to get at. Um, but yeah, even like the word teacher you're right it has these connotations implications um and so yeah i'm not i'm I'm, we struggle with this we we've definitely discussed this in Mm -hmm. other podcasts too yeah i mean also especially with yoga therapy like i think that's really where it gets blurry you know because therapist is usually involved in your treatment you know treating something and i i guess that's so i think that you know that's something that yoga therapists i think are working on clarifying but it's important that people understand that it's not, you know, yoga is something that you do for yourself. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I always make a point when I'm, I'm just working with one student right now doing one-on-one classes for free because that's what's working for me. <laughs> um, and I always make a point from at least the physical side, the person I'm working with has some, some hip pain. So to, to explain as much as I know, as much as the training and the research I've done, why I'm doing the things I'm doing with them so that they can understand. And I've had this um, just so we're just talking really about the, the physical parts of asana, not going deep into the philosophy. But every student that I've done that with, like oh, class over class after five or so classes, I, start, I repeat the same things and this is why. And they're like, yeah, and then this is going to increase my stability and then I can move better and they start to repeat Mm -hmm. it back to me so it's this if we can start to empower our students just like Mm -hmm. you're saying and hold them more responsible Mm -hmm. instead of it just being especially on the more modern classes that are very asana driven um not a lot of philosophy in there to at least let your students know where you're going why you're doing what you're doing and I think a lot of teachers are kind of lost with what they're teaching. They're exhausted. They're going out and teaching a ton of classes. They're just stringing Mm -hmm. together a bunch of postures that feel good in their body or or work Mm -hmm. for their abilities. Um, The philosophy is dropped. Anything spiritual is just like whatever happens, maybe if in some silent time at the beginning or the end of class. Mm. And it's just kind of like, I think teachers are really struggling Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Well, I just, I see it so often in the classes I go to. I'm like, that yeah. didn't, like, first thing, I, I want it to feel 
good-ish in my body. I mean, like there's going to be work. Obviously, you talk about the, the elements of suffering. There's work there, but I, mm. should, I shouldn't feel pain after class. And I at least have the yeah. anatomical and biomechanical knowledge to mm. do poses differently if I know they're unsafe for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would yeah. say one thing that helps me, like I work a lot with people with disabilities, and I would say, going back to what I mentioned earlier, that I don't, I don't, assume I know more than someone else does about their own body. Mm-hmm. And I also don't assume that if they're having negative or positive experiences that it's based on me. Like I really try to have strong boundaries and feel mm-hmm. like, yeah. and, and trust people's intuition and you know, while keeping them safe. So I think what, what I mean, going back to, like you said about facilitator, I think that's, that's a good kind of way to think about it, which is like, to me, I, I, I'm just like offering suggestions. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. try this or try that. Like I'm not, especially when I'm going into teach and not really as a yoga therapist, I'm just, I may not know someone's background or medical mm-hmm. history and I'm just suggesting things and then they have to experience it in their body. Cause yoga teachers, we're not, you know, we're not really medically trained, so we can't be, we're not diagnosing, we're not treating, we're just offering suggestions for movement for relaxation, breathing, meditation, and philosophy. Mm. In fact, I mean, the other thing I would say is we have such so much to offer within yoga. And then it always kind of pains me when I feel like we're trying to do something else. Like we're trying to be a physical therapist or we're trying to be nutritionists. Um, when, you know, within yoga, we really have the most empower, like powerful tools for relaxation and stress reduction and helping people find peace and reduce suffering like the yoga tools we have are incredible so like that's enough you know we don't have to do more Mm. yeah for me that was yeah that was like a hard message a hard lesson for me to learn as well for sure because I guess it's not really like a I'm not sure if in other circles it might be, but it's not really like a profession profession. It's not like lawyer, doctor, you know, it's, it's more like, um, uh, I don't know how you would say it, but I don't, I don't feel, maybe this is just me like, you know, having my own coloring of the, the perception of it, but that's how I feel. Sometimes it's, it's, um, regarded. And so, yeah, there, there is like, at least for like personally, um, I'm, I am in some ways looking for this like external um, justification that my work is Mm -hmm. meaningful to society, even though I know like deep inside, I know it is, I know um, the people that I get to touch and and change um, and influence, like the words are getting through and the work is getting through. Um, But I guess it's just like, it's not like a doctor and a lawyer. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just like my, my own um, background. Well, I mean, it, you know, to me, it's, it's, a, it is a spiritual tradition. So it's more like, to me, it's more like being a minister um, mm. than being a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, that, and I actually am, a min, I, I'm, an, I, I'm part of an ecumenical ministry. I mean, I am, I, I really think that is the power we have, which is that to me, and I mean, some ministers are horrible, but I mean, there's the part of ministry that would be like, just being able to listen to create the space to to create an environment for healing that's what i think an authentic ministry is and i think yoga teaching is like that it offers that Mm. kind of potential just um to help people step into their own power to listen to themselves i mean because honestly what i i if someone comes and talks to me about their whatever problems going on. I mean, my first question is like, well, what do you think? You know, like, what are they, what do you think is going on? Or, or, okay, then just try, you know, try the yoga class and then see how, how, how does it feel for you? You know, like, how did that pose feel? Was that, were you hurt after? Or did it feel good? I mean, we have to help students find that sensitivity to what is useful for them and help them cultivate their own practice. I mean, that, that's really the goal actually to me too, that I think a lot of teachers don't keep in mind which is that, and especially in a capitalist system where we want students to keep coming back to us. Mm-hmm. I think the goal should of a yoga teacher should be to make their student, your students independent and have them 
surpass you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I yeah. so agree with that. And I are on board with that. <laughs> totally, <Yeah>. totally. <sighs> um, I want to go back to the book. Is that okay, Sandy? Do you have something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. So I don't think we've covered like the if there was a specific event or scenario of why you wanted to make the book beyond you took you talked before about wanting to write a book and being passionate mm-hmm. about accessible yoga but was there was there a, a a tipping point or scenario that really drove you to going forward with this mm-hmm. work um i think well, I think like maybe when I wrote, I wrote a manual for my teacher training program, which I lead the accessible yoga training, which is, um, that's the main, um, way I'm out there teaching these days is through the trainings. And I, I wrote the manual for that a couple of years back. And as I was, after I wrote it, I thought this could be a book, like this could be available to the general public if I wrote it in a different voice. And so that's, that was my first thought about this book was of oh, this material. I had, so I ended up using some of that material and restructuring it um, for the book because the book is, although it's for, I think, good for teachers, it's really meant to be for students and practitioners. I want people mm-hmm. to be able to access it directly um, if they, if they want. And there's a short, there's a chapter at the end for teachers, but, you know, I think it's a textbook that anyone could use um, even if you don't have experience in yoga. But yeah, I think that's what it came out of as my teacher trainings and, and trying to um, challenge myself because I, I've been working, I've been training yoga teachers for so long. Like it's exciting to me to like go directly and work with students like again and like speak to students or teach students directly through the book. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, the book kind of covers working with different talk about work working with different communities so it's not just I mentioned before like physical abilities in different communities do you have an experience of the first community that you worked in um that might not be like your typical yoga studio well yeah I mean I so when I when I started yoga I was an AIDS activist was in the um late 80s early 90s and I was living in San Francisco and so many of my friends were sick and dying of AIDS. And I, you know, that was my passion was just like to try to support them and my community. And, and I was struggling myself. I mean, it was just really painful. My best friend, Kurt died of AIDS in 1995. And I just, you know, I actually, that was the year that I finally, I finally decided like, I had been training actually to be a teacher for many years before that, but I, I was like kind of young and insecure, but then I decided, okay, I really have to do this. Like I'm going to, and the whole point, the reason I became a teacher was to try to bring yoga to my community, to people with HIV and AIDS. And, um, so I was doing that right away, like right out of teacher training. And I, and I got to work with Dean Ornish, which helped a lot. He, he was a, um, cardiologist who's famous for researching yoga um, for heart disease. And I got to teach yoga for his program and kind of see what he was doing. And that was, um, inspiring. Cause I saw how he was taking yoga outside of studios. And that was, I mean, actually the, even studios weren't that big that back then. I mean, that was a long mm-hmm. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> like in 1990, like there wasn't really, I remember there, were, I don't think there even was like, maybe there was like, there were, there were, institutes like and like yoga centers but not really like anything that you would think of as a modern studio yet mm-hmm. um in san francisco I and mean, they're just starting um but yeah i mean i think that was my my interest all along because i i could i could felt how yoga was helping me and i was like this is so useful like this is to be honest, I, I think it was a philosophy. Like I remember studying the philosophy and just being blown away and thought, wow, these are like the answers to the questions I've always had my whole life. And like, doesn't everyone yeah. need to know this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I felt too. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we're getting a little bit long in the tooth. So I just wanted to do one, one, one more quick question, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully it's not too long of an answer. But um, so 
there's we did an interview with um another girl Aisha and she mentioned this um social aspect of yoga um being really important to help create um, not only the the healing but also to like help create a nervous system response that's um, uh, what's it call it Nat is it parasympathetic is that yeah. the one yeah. yeah okay yeah yeah I think there there is something with social engagement and parasympathetic mm-hmm. from what I recall um, and so knowing that and then also with the accessibility of um, what you're trying to do and teach people um, how do you feel about things like hands-on adjustments or um, touch or um, mm. mixing yoga with like massage um, and those kind of things mm. well that's that well I think that's too questions but i i like them <laughs> i really I, mean, I i love that you asked about community because i think that's huge and i and mm-hmm. so accessible yoga also we have a nonprofit, and you know the nonprofit is dedicated to creating community amongst yoga practitioners and teachers we're really dedicated to supporting you know yoga teachers who are are bringing yoga to communities that don't normally have access and making yoga available to anyone who's interested and so I'm really passionate about that. We have a lot on Facebook. Um, we have like 25 different yoga, uh, I mean, different accessible yoga groups on Facebook with literally thousands of people. Accessible yoga community is one group with 5,000 people we have. And then we have groups in 10 different languages. And I and we have conferences, um, you know, and we move them around to different cities. But that's about creating community because I what I saw was that that's my that's my personal yoga practice is actually moving beyond my ego and supporting other teachers and other people mm-hmm. who are doing this work. And so I create the I really created this organization to do that, to lift mm-hmm. up people. But I think the same thing happens within a yoga class that you learn about you learn about how to be with other people because so much of our lives were in isolation. I think we're seeing in the West that isolation is is bad for your health, literally. It's mm-hmm. really deadly. You will get people who are isolated um, will get sick faster. And yoga is a place where a lot of people can come together and be in community. And so I always encourage teachers uh, when I'm training them to consciously create community, to think about what can I do to actually really connect people? Because I know when, when I was teaching group classes, uh, public ones, that many of my students came back just to see their friends. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. even want it come back for the yoga. They just wanted to see their yoga friends. Mm-hmm. And um, that's key, right? That like, you, like the other guest was saying, that is so important for our health. But then going back, then you, well, so can I ask your, answer your other question too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to say about touch. I mean, we have, so I don't know when this will be published, but we have a, a summit that we're putting on with the Yoga Service Council and Accessible Yoga that's supported by Yoga Alliance. And it's going to be in March called the Evolution of Yoga Summit. And we're addressing four areas of concern within yoga that include um, cultural appropriation, racism, Mm -hmm. accessibility, and consent. And the consent piece is really, I think, essential right now when so there's so much abuse that's happened in yoga, so much much injury has happened. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's been so many horrible things. And I think we really have to step it up and address it consciously. And I would say the pendulum needs to swing back to like a much more conservative way of using touch, even though touch is a really powerful healing modality um, within a public yoga class, I think it has to be used very carefully. And I think the key is consent. So as long as there is consent, which is a complex thing, it's not a simple thing. um, The the key to consent is, um, you know, communication and information. So there needs to be clear communication between the, with the teacher and the student and they're asking for consent and they need to have information and they need to be empowered mm-hmm. to give consent. And that's often not the case. So that, again, I can talk about that a lot longer, but I think that's a really important question. And especially within accessible yoga classes, you know, there might be a need for more assisting, hands-on assisting, but there still needs to be that consent. So teachers need to learn how to how to gain consent and i think there needs to be they need to be instructed to do that in all teacher trainings and and i try to we cover it in my training but i feel like everyone should know everyone should talk about how to do it yeah i love that that's that should be yeah it should be like a prerequisite before you you get your certification yeah i agree totally yeah i love that yeah sorry no it was really good (laughs) you covered everything i'm so glad (laughs) 
I'm trying to fit it in. <laughs> no, Matt, we is could... there anything else? Oh, I was just saying we could have done like a whole episode just on that topic. Yeah. <laughs> so no, you you yeah. were very concise. You were very concise. <laughs> and and I completely agree. I get um one class that I did with my husband where in this class they use consent stones. So they have little rocks that you put at the front of your mat yeah. if you're open to adjustments. Yeah. And he didn't have one and the teacher adjusted him and it wasn't mm. It wasn't super strong. It was enough that I just, and it was around his shoulder area where he's had instabilities, had experienced dislocations in his younger years. Mm. And it was very hard for me. (laughs) It was just to not say something in the moment. And then the whole rest of the class was just like me trying to calm myself down. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Nothing happened to him, but you just, yeah, it's not a place where. That's a great example you know, of where there was a lack of consent. I mean, also those consent stones are not enough. That's a good, or consent cards. I mean, it's a good um, tool, but Mm. they're just one part. There has to be communication. Yes. Um, Yeah. And I think there has to be, Mm. there has to be like an understanding that you can withdraw your consent at any time, like Mm. in the middle of the touch, you can say, no, stop it, please. And, and that's going to be okay. It's not disrespectful. You're not going to, you know, no yoga gods are going to come down and smite you like nothing bad is going to happen. You've just Mm -hmm. withdrawn your consent and that's fine. Um, Whereas I feel like a lot of, when I'm a student in a class, I feel like I can't say anything. I don't know why. I don't know why that is either. It's a power, it's a power issue. Issue. yeah There's maybe it's a yeah it goes yeah. back to that empowerment issue yeah. or disempowerment disempowering your students instead of empowering also yeah, because true. i think that's we right. want the students want to trust the teacher and want yes to give the teacher yes. the authority like you know better than me mm-hmm. you know because yeah. you're the teacher and i and there's actually i think a benefit in trusting your teacher or trusting your doctor like there's a benefit that comes from that but i think we have to really um balance that out with trusting ourselves too. Like it can't just be trusting them over ourselves. We have to trust them and trust yourself mm-hmm. um, and believe in your intuition. Oh, wait, that doesn't feel right. Say something like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, don't let it go too far. You know, like, yeah. don't you have that experience where you've like, you thought about something that happened later and you thought, oh, you know, I knew, I knew that wasn't. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it's Absolutely. Like, how do we build that muscle? Like to trust that inner voice that tells us, wait, this isn't, this isn't going to go well. Or that person didn't feel right to me or, or something in this moment isn't right. Like that, that knowledge is key. That's wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a practice, isn't it? It's like, a, oh yeah, it's a pra- <laughs> big sigh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a practice though. Yeah. It's something I definitely struggle with. Um, I used to have an Ashtanga background uh, going to Mysore, a Mysore room in Toronto, uh, mm. daily practice 5am. And like, I knew, I knew something was going on in my back. I knew something was going on in my hips, but I, there was something in me that couldn't, couldn't blame the practice. You know what I mean? I just, I, I would not put the blame on the teacher. I would not put yeah. the blame on the practice. Um, and yeah. yes, I should have spoken out, but yes, they should have also, you know, like not maybe sat on my back for so oh. long. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whose yeah. fault it is. It's, it's complicated. Like you say, it's, it's not a straight line, right? Who's right, who's wrong and who steps over that line. It's, it's, yeah, it is, but it's really it important. It's, it's also, yes. um, it's, it's, how do I say this? It's, it's cultural too. And it's, it's a way that people have been controlled um, mm-hmm. based on their marginalizations. So like people with more privilege, like men, for example, tend to um, control women that way, you know, and it's just, it's like, mm. it's just very important that people are learn about listening to themselves, empowering themselves and having agency over their own bodies. Like that's the other thing we're talking about bodies here. And it's, it, you know, letting someone touch you or move your body should only be done with your consent at any time. And anytime it doesn't feel right, like you said, you should be able to stop and Mm -hmm. and protect yourself. And that for that to happen in yoga is just so horrific, you know, where people are abused or injured. And I think we've Mm -hmm. given ourselves a bad name, actually. I think we really have to address that because yoga is being become known for that now. It's becoming known for abuse and injury, and that's yeah. so sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, that's right. 
I feel like we could talk for a really long time. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you've already kept Jivana 30 minutes over what we said we would. Oh my well, God. not, uh, not okay. in this so yeah, between the two. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on. Sandy, did you, I think we're pretty much done. Agree? Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you so, so much. This is really amazing to talk to you. Yeah. We're definitely going to put, um, yeah. Okay. So we'll put links to um, where everyone can get the book and information probably on some of the, about some of those Facebook pages and your social media. We'll, we'll link up everything that everyone Great. needs to get in contact with you in, in all Thank the you. ways. Um, and I, I highly recommend this book. Most are, well, I think a good amount of our audience because um, it makes is made up of teachers, but we do have students definitely. So for the teachers, I don't want you to think that this is a book for beginner students of yoga. It is, but it, is so important for teachers. Mm -hmm. I think there's just so much that you can do to expand the ways that you teach and make this more accessible to your students and reach more people mm -hmm. in healthy and yeah. really healthy ways. So mm -hmm. please go out. Like, yeah, I consider myself a, someone who knows a lot about with respect to the physical side anyways. Um, and there's a ton of stuff in here that I would not have thought of. So thank you so much for creating this, this resource. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me here too and, and for all your support. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, until the next episode, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>